it's always a pleasure and a privilege to do what I'm about to do right now. I thank you for giving me the opportunity to be able to express what God's put on my heart. Uh, I love this church. I love you people, and I'm thankful to God for all that he is doing in my life and in yours and in this congregation. I want to ask you to stand with me one more time, please. We're going to read one verse of scripture together, sort of back in the saddle. Last Sunday, great Sunday with uh, Back to Church Sunday. Thank you so much, all of you who invited guests and friends and brought them. Great time. Uh, we shared briefly sort of taking a pause from Mark, and we talked about contrasting religion versus relationship, and we definitely don't want to settle for less. We want a real live a life-giving kind of a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And this morning, that really means that we plug in and we, we find the fabric uh, of what this verse means, that Jesus has set the mark for us and we are to follow him, his example, in his footsteps. So as we read, this is the series text. It literally is the key verse that unlocks all of Mark. Mark is the eyewitness account of the Apostle Peter as he tells his life story, his, the record of the events that took place as he viewed Jesus, and he shares it with one of his younger disciples, which is John Mark, which is the writer of the Gospel of Mark. Okay? So this morning as we jump in, this one verse, find a screen where it's comfortable for you and read out loud with me, please. Here we go. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Bow your hearts with me, please, for a word of prayer. Lord, here we are again in this place. We, we come to you and what can sometimes sort of become familiar, we ask you to mix it up today. We ask you to just stir our hearts with a sense of expectation. Uh, Lord, we don't ever want to get to the place where we feel like, well, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, especially when it comes to your presence and your glory. Shine, Jesus, shine, as we sang in the words of that song this morning. Lord, let your love that never fails, let it be poured out in this place this morning. There are people here today with hurting hearts, Lord, recognizing that they don't have enough. And the struggle that they face, and God, yes, I say amen to that prayer that I just heard. Fill us up. Say that with me right now. Fill us up, Lord. We're hungry for you, and we put ourselves today in a posture as believers to leave this place filled with the Holy Spirit. Open our ears. Spirit of God, you're the only one that can do that. My words are not strong enough or powerful enough. Only the work of, of the Holy Spirit can do that. Open some eyes, open some ears to hear. Give us hearts that understand. I can't do that apart from you. You, Holy Spirit, do that in this place. We'll be careful to give you all the praise and the honor. In Jesus' name and all of God's people said... Amen. I'm excited about Warrior Weekend. Guys, I hope you're going to be a part of that. It's uh, going to be an awesome time together with the brothers. Chip Bueller has been a longtime friend. He's been in and out of victory a number of times. One of our presbyters who sort of oversees our ministry, kind of some authority from the outside. Uh, to give you a chance to meet him next Sunday. Uh, guys that are going, we're inviting 13 and up uh, to be able to attend. It's going to be a great time. Um, Darren Johnson's in charge of the food. He's going to do his world-famous weekend warrior shrimp boil again. It's going to be awesome. If some of you guys are shellfish allergic, we'll make sure you've got some other stuff that's prepared for you. It's going to be great food and amazing fellowship as well. Saturday, float the river. Maybe baptize some folks that make a new commitment to Jesus over the weekend. We love to do that when we get a chance to. 
and then back here Saturday night, and then Chip will be preaching in both services Sunday morning, and we're looking forward to WOW Worship Sunday night at 6 p.m. So great time in the presence of God. It's going to be an amazing weekend next weekend. Uh, I, I encourage you to invite some friends. Don't just do what we just had you do for two or three weeks with our Back to Church Sunday, but keep, keep talking about what the Lord is doing uh, because that has a tremendous effect in the lives of those in your network. We're going to talk about that this morning, how we can minister to those people that are, that are in our networks. And uh, many times before we do that, we have to be ministered to ourselves. And so as we look at today, I have 10 verses of Scripture. What we just read was our series text. It sort of sets us up. It's the springboard. Even the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And so that's our springboard. We're jumping into this a whole new life. Kingdom of God is not just about getting fire insurance and missing hell. And it really is not just about having a ticket to heaven. But it's about experiencing a whole new kind and quality of life that you can know right now on this side uh, and, and to be able to live out of that fullness of the life that Jesus said, the thief comes but for to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life. NIV says, and live it to the fullest. And so um, King James says, and that more abundantly. I, I love that. The abundant life is all about not just how much stuff you have, but it's who you know, and his name is Jesus. So as we look this morning, the title of the message today, this is, I believe, number 21 in uh, the On His Mark series, and it's called He Did It Again. Tell your neighbor right now, say, He Did It Again. He did it again. Tell, turn and tell the one on the other side, say, He did it once. He can do it again. All right, now you're going to see what that means because we're going to see Jesus sort of do a repeat. He hits sort of the rewind button on the DVR, or on his CD player or whatever, and he goes back and does just what he's done two chapters back. He fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish a couple of chapters back in Mark. And we're going to see in this section where he's going to, re- he's going to feed 4,000. And you want to go, okay, so what's, what's the big deal? I mean, you know, why do these disciples, and that's the answer to the question in itself, why do these disciples, why did they not get it the first time? And so as we look into this passage uh, it's Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 10, so you don't have to read out loud. Just follow along with me quickly, please. Here we go. In those days, when again, you don't have to read out loud, just follow. When again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and he said to them, here we go, I have compassion on the crowd. Everybody say compassion. Yes. Greek word sympatheo, S-U-M-P-A-T-H-E-O would be the... English transliteration, putting our letters in. Sympatheo. Do, do you hear an English word in there somewhere? Everybody say sympathy. Okay, so the, the Greek word means with pathos, with, with passion. With the, the message says, I feel sorry for the crowd. Okay, and this is why he says it. Because they have been with me now three days and they have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come far or from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? There ain't no super Walmart out here, Jesus. And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. 
I love that. You know, Jesus has some manners. This, I grew up and my mom would say, we're having a big family meal and we're all hungry and we can't wait and the house smells amazing at Thanksgiving and mom is cooking all the stuff. And I don't know how it was at your house, but ours growing up, she had a little bit of something to please everybody. Because my brother Dewey wasn't fond of turkey, and so mom would cook a ham, a Christmas ham at Thanksgiving. So those who wanted turkey had turkey, those who wanted ham had ham, and we had everybody's favorite vegetables. So it's just like a massive smorgasbord. I mean, this is, this is Paul the Apostle saying, I buffet my body, okay? <laughs> uh, not what he meant, but anyway... So it's just this massive, and everybody's standing around, and we're, we're getting hungry, and we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're picking, and Mom says, ah, 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 and she's slapping hands going, don't graze. We're going to sit down together to eat in a minute. We're, we're not beasts. We're not going to stand up and graze. We're going to sit down like civil people, and we're going to eat together. And notice that, G, that Jesus here actually has some manners. He says, tell the people to sit down. Sit down on the ground. And I think that's important. You're going, what's he going to draw out of that? Well, just wait, okay? He directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, everybody say give thanks. So he gets it in his hand, he gives thanks for it, then he broke them and he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. Now there is a progression here. Jesus takes the bread, he thanks God for it, he breaks the bread, he gives it to the disciples that are then instructed to give it to the crowd. And they set it before the crowd. Go ahead. And they had a few small fish. Now, unlike this the other time where they had five loaves and two fish, we have seven loaves, we don't know how many fish. So they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. So he does the same routine again, bread and then fish. And they ate and were satisfied. Everybody say satisfied. So it's like everybody's back, they're getting enough. Probably a few folks belching here or there. Maybe that's too much for you. I'm sorry. But, you know, folks are a big crowd. They're having a good time. They're eating. They're strong. They're strengthened. They're ready to go head home. And they took up the broken pieces left over seven baskets full. I love it. Okay. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of His absolutely amazing Word. And all of God's people said. Amen. First of all, right out of the chute, I just want to tell you this morning that I am so thankful that Jesus is not afraid to repeat Himself. And I'm going to repeat myself. Jesus is not afraid to repeat Himself. All the parents in here can appreciate this, and some of you who will look back with grace on your moms and dads realize that you didn't always get it the first time they said it, did you? Uh, and I'll say that again for the hearing impaired. You didn't always get it the first time, did you? Um, it, it, this is something that I think that we see repetition in the gospel. We see it in both covenants. Uh, the law was given twice to remind a new generation that had never been discipled in it. Deuteronomos, two times, deus, Deuteronomos, namas is law. And, and Moses says over and over, don't forget, remember, you're going to get over there in the promised land, you're going to get blessed, and you're going to back up fat and sassy, and you're going to start thinking that you did this in your own power and strength. Do not forget, remember that it's the Lord your God who gives you the power to get well. You, you're not going to do this in your own strength. Remember, remember. And so Moses is repeating himself. He's saying it over again. He's, he's taking a new generation back through a catechism, so to speak, a catechizing them, building, grounding them in the faith, building strong disciples. 
The Apostle Peter does the same thing in his epistle. He said, I want to stir up your pure mind by way of remembrance. I want to collect these things together to remember them, to, to, to member it together, to pull, pull it back, not just a recollection of thoughts, but to pull this thing together in wholeness, bring together the fragments into to a whole understanding. Paul the Apostle in Philippians chapter 3 says, you know what, guys, I want to say this to you, and I've actually already said this before, and the King James says, for me to say the same things to you is not grievous, but for you it's safe. Message says it this way, you better be safe than sorry. I want to say this to you again because it's not going to hurt you to hear it again, and it doesn't frustrate me to say it again because this, you need to hear this again. And there's something about the gospel that we hear it over and we hear it over, and if we approach it with fresh eyes and open ears and new hearts that God has regenerated that He has raised us up from spiritual death unto newness of life. If we can open our hearts and hear Him when He speaks, there's something about the gospel that He, he repeats it to us because it is so multi-layered and so rich with the heavenly protein that you need to grow and become a strong disciple in the image of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody, say amen this morning. Jesus isn't afraid to repeat Himself, and I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful. I, I, I remember times with my children growing up, and they're good kids, but they were just so normal as kids. Sometimes the things I would say the second or third time, and yes, maybe even the 33rd time, and I would get so frustrated because they wouldn't do it the first time. And then I would back up and go, God, is there like a corollary here? Is there, is there something that you're trying to connect the dots for me to see that in the middle of all of my impatience, I still am desperately in love with my children and I'm crazy about them. And could you possibly be trying to show me that maybe the 33rd time or maybe the 133rd time you've had to tell me or take me around the mountain again or break the bread and show me a miracle one more time? that you're not afraid to repeat yourself and you're not frustrated with me because it might take that one more time for me to get it. And there's something that happens in a parent's heart when you rejoice and you see. And I'm in that moment right now. I'm, I'm in a sweet spot in my life. My, my son is blessed and my daughter is just growing and it's exciting to see what the Lord's doing in her life. And, and just I, I stopped and spoke a moment to Melissa Quentin this morning, home from UCA, and just seeing these kids that are here and coming home and, and, and experiencing new things and growing. It's just such a blessing to me. Some of these that I've seen them grow up from little, small ages. And I think about the Father, the Heavenly Father who loves us so much, who's not afraid to repeat Himself. And He is so, I believe, fulfilled and swells in His heart with, with an excitement when He starts to see those that He's attempting to make in the image of His firstborn Son, Jesus, and they start to actually get it. And that's because God is not afraid to repeat Himself. Number two this morning, I want you to see this. Jesus informs the disciples about a need that moved His heart. I, I, I find that just so indescribably provocative. That just provokes my heart to thinking. When I, when I see Jesus in this scenario and He's talking to these guys saying, look, these people are hungry. They've been here for days with us. They've seen miracles. They've heard teaching. They're, they're, they're stirred in their hearts. But, but, but as, as wonderful as it is to go to a conference, and we're going to take our staff to Catalyst in, in, in Atlanta, Georgia, 2, 3, and 4 of October, and we're excited about it. And as wonderful as it is to pull away for a couple of days and experience that team time together and be in just literally stadium-shaking worship and presence and amazing music and new songs and speakers that are amazing that, that, are, that are just going to preach Jesus so big. I love that and I'm excited about it, but there's something about it. You just almost reach a point and you, have, you go, okay, I've got to go home and 
begin to try and say, how am I going to apply some of this? I've got a real life that I have to live. Because life is not just on a hillside hearing Jesus talk. Life is not just Sunday morning. Sunday morning is just a few moments where we get a chance to get your attention and hopefully challenge you to lift your, your eyes up off of what you're going through onto a God who is bigger than all of that. Come on, somebody put your hands together and give Him praise. To, to, to lift up and realize that redemption is yours. The, the Bible says lift your eyes for redemption draws nigh. I, I, I believe with all of my heart that focus so changes our direction. When we're, the way we're looking, then that's where we're focused in our perspective. Sometimes uh, Abby and I were in conversation this week and she said, you know this whole idea that I've, that I've always heard by Christians my whole life is that that you know, God won't put anything more on you than you can stand. And she says, I don't think that's even biblical. She said, because if God never puts on you any more than you can stand, then you don't need God at any point then, do you? I said, girl, they'll preach. And, and, and so we're looking at 1 Corinthians 10, not going there this morning, but I believe that passage has been pulled out of context, made it to say, oh, he won't give you more than you can handle. Well, you know what? If you never have more than you can handle, then you don't ever have to cry out to him. I believe that He regularly gives you something bigger than what you can handle so that you do cry out to Him. So that you realize really, honestly, on a, on a basic nature level that you are little and small and He is huge and He's magnificent and indescribably majestic. And as long as the focus is on how nothing you have and how no good you are and not how great and how amazing He is, you will always stay in a place of limitation. Jesus is trying to stretch the understanding of these guys that he's already been with several months now, and it's over a year. It's a couple of years that they've been traveling. They've sort of been um, apprentices in the Jesus Christ evangelistic ministry. So they've been traveling around with him and seeing things happen, and we're moving into the 8th chapter of Mark. We're at the halfway point, and everything to this point has been about the king, and it's going to shift here in the next few verses where it's all going to be about the cross, where the king is headed. He's headed to the cross. Because Mark focuses on these two great big huge themes, the king himself and then the king that's going to die for his own subjects. The cross, which is going to become the hinge point of history that changes the course and the focus of every individual's life who will find his place kneeling at the foot of that history-making, life-changing event which we tell in what we call the gospel. And so Jesus looks at His disciples and He informs them about a need that moves His own heart. And, and I think this is so interesting because it's completely opposite. It's upside down from the way that we would normally think because typically we see Him as Master and we are servant and we are the ones with the needs and we present our petitions to Him because He can meet the needs. He's the need meter after all. But isn't it interesting that Jesus sort of turns the, the tables on them and He says, boys... I have sympathio. My heart is moved to a deep degree because I'm sorry for these people. Their bodies need to be fed. There are those who would take the gospel and over-spiritualize it to the point that it's only about sin and salvation and heaven in the future. And let me just say that I believe that is the cornerstone of it. Jesus Christ became the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. And it is that place where we find ourselves kissing the cross 
and we bow our hearts and we, 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 we absorb that offense of the preaching of a cross of foolishness and powerlessness. And hidden in the glory of that thing is the wisdom of God and the power of God demonstrated once you've come through the offense of that thing to the other side of it. And I believe God looks at us and He says, Can your hearts hurt with what hurts my heart? Can you look at the people around you in your lives, in your homes, in your families, in your networks, in your friends, in your neighborhood, at your job, those that are fellow employees in the cubicle across from you, those whom you employ? Can you really make a connection to those people on a, on a basic level where you understand that there is a soul hurt and they're crying out for something? Yeah, great that we can share time together and we can maybe provide people with a paycheck, but there's something that is beyond that. And so Jesus comes with the gospel that not only secures our future, but it also covers our past. But don't neglect where we're living right now. The sweet by and by will take care of itself and yesterday's gone. I need a word that will meet me right now in the nasty, nitty-gritty now and now. The beautiful Isle of Somewhere will get me there when I'm supposed to be, wherever that is. But right now, I'm in a strait betwixt two. I'm between a rock and a proverbial hard place and I need Jesus to meet me. And in the middle of my need, he's looking at me and going, those people have a need. What are you going to do about it? And I'm going, wait a minute. I, I don't, um, this does not compute. Why are you telling me about a need? Why don't you meet the need? And Jesus is looking at the disciples. Next point, he is expecting them to do something about it. He's expecting them to do something about it. And, and, and this is the crazy thing. I want you to know that Jesus looks at the church in West Memphis, Arkansas this morning. And he sees hurting, broken, blind, beggarly, beaten, bruised people. He sees racism. He sees separation. He sees hatred. He sees socioeconomic status and denominational prejudice of Christians that think they're better than or they're the only ones right and going to heaven. He sees division in the body that are arguing over political issues and ideas and the stupid idea that if you're really a Christian, you have to be part of that party or this party. And everybody who's not part of that, you're not a card-carrying member of this one, then you're not really a Christian. God, have mercy. How did we reduce this thing to this mess that we're in today? Jesus, deliver us from this. And we draw lines in the sand and we draw up our battlements and we, we pick fights with people and Jesus is trying to get us to get our eyes up out of the sand and the dirt and the problems and, and, and the narrow-minded thinking into the bigness of how great God is. And in the middle of that, He's going, Okay, you guys, you've been walking with me, you've been working with me, you've been watching me. What are you going to do about these needs? Because these people are hurting. And Jesus is not just talking about them having a secure place in heaven in the future. He says they're hungry. They're hungry. There are very real needs in this community that, let me tell you something, the gospel is the life-changing, history-making good news of Jesus. It is about a home in heaven. That is the cornerstone. But let me tell you, you don't get the opportunity to tell people about that sometimes if you don't first meet an initial need because people don't care what you know until they know how much you care. And sometimes that means we have to move out of our comfort zone and we have to step out beyond where we've been normally moving in our own social groups and we try to begin to try and meet some needs that we can. 
And Jesus looks at the disciples and he fully intends them. He expects them to do something about it. And the crazy thing is their response. Next point, what is the disciples' response? They basically say, hey, 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 Jesus, man, have you noticed we're out here in a desolate place? There's not a quick shop. There, there, there's not a stop and go. There's not a pick and sack. There is certainly no super Walmart. I haven't seen a bakery out here where we are. What do you mean bread? We, didn't, we don't have any money. What, what, what are you talking about? And this is so the symptom of our humanity. When Jesus challenges us to do something that is bigger than us, remember what I told you Abby said, the idea that we think that God will never call us to do something or put any more on us than we can handle. If you think that way, then you never do need God. I just I want to straighten that thinking out because I want to tell you, if the vision you have is not so big that you think you can handle it yourself, if you think you've got the strength and the ability and the gifting to do it, then it's not a God-sized vision. It's not big enough. Because God wants to put something on you that's going to make you crowd in desperation and go, God, this thing is bigger than I am because your kingdom is bigger than I am. How? How are you going to do this, Lord? I don't understand. I don't, I don't have the wherewithal. I don't have the education. I don't have the funding. I don't have the finance. I don't have the leadership. I don't have the gifting. I don't have... And you start thinking through all of these things and that's when you have to realize that He has called you to see that for a purpose. Too many times we want to you know, run an inventory. These guys did not have a meal waiting anywhere. There, there, was not a, there was not an Israeli McDonald's that they could run through on the way home. There, there, there was not an opportunity to get a, get a uh, real quick crystal burger somewhere. They're on the way home and there's nothing. It's a desolate place. You know, um, even if I don't have any money in my pocket, I can get in my car and in a few minutes I can be home where I have a full refrigerator, a full freezer, and a full pantry. And I have full clothes too, and I'm sorry to say that. Some of you got that. It's not that situation with these people. They've not eaten in well over a day, and they've been hungry for the spiritual food. And Jesus now, who is not just hyper-spiritual and only interested in feeding the spirit man, He says, these people are hungry. They need something to eat. They have some needs. We don't want them to go home right now because if they go home at this point, they will go home hungry. They will faint. And Jesus is all about doing this. And I'm going to go back and hit this point again because I just feel the Spirit of the Lord pulling me right back to it. Jesus is not afraid to repeat Himself. A friend of mine years ago pastors an amazing church, Covenant Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Great uh, ethnic congregation, multi-ethnic, probably 5,000 people in the church. Um, just amazing brother. His wife was given the tragic news of a diagnosis of a very difficult kind of cancer. And just that week, he was supposed to be preaching at a large conference, and they visited this great church, a massive music program, great choir. And about this time, in the 80s, Ron Cannoli was releasing this song. Whose report will you believe? We shall believe the report of the Lord. It's from Isaiah 53. It says, To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who has believed the report of the Lord? And it begins to prophesy about this root that will come up out of dry ground. Who He was smitten of God and afflicted, and He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. That phrase appears in that song over and over again. Whose report will you believe? We will believe the report of the Lord. Too many times when we are called to walk by faith, we are, we are listening to the voices of our five senses, our touch and taste and smell and sight and hear and all of these things that are screaming at us 
and, and, and our insight, our inner man is, is trying to connect us to say, you walk by faith and not by what? Sight. And my, my dear friend and his wife were wrestling with the weight of her hearing that she had this pretty much, at this point in history in the 80s, it was an unconquerable cancer. It was, it was bad news. And so they stand in this service and the choir begins to sing, who shall, or who, whose report will you believe? And then the choir shouts back, we shall believe the report of the Lord. And it goes on to say, his report says I am healed. His report says I, and it goes on laying out all of this beautiful stuff that Jesus Christ has already accomplished for us on the cross. By his stripes, we were healed. And they sing that song literally. This sounds crazy to you guys, but they sing this song in this night service literally for 45 minutes. And it just goes on. The way it, you know, in beautiful style in the African-American church and the, cr- the, the crowd is moving and it's just almost like a, like a play back and forth between the energy of the, the singer and the choir and a little bit of an exhortational kind of preaching and then boom, they grab a hold of it again and they sing it again. It's a reprise. It's... It's let's go back and sing it again and again and again. And sometimes the Lord has to say something to us a number of times for real faith to be birthed down into our hearts to where it gets down into our toenails and it starts to come up and it becomes a foundation that carries us in the middle of a storm in our lives. Does anybody hear what I'm saying to you this morning? Jesus is certainly not afraid to repeat himself and he's calling on the disciples, showing them one more time, boys, we've done this before. I've seen it happen. Did you not get it then? Were you going to get another chance? And so Jesus asks them, they give their response. What? What, what, what is it? We're out here in a desolate, desolate place. We don't have any bakeries hanging out anywhere. And Jesus asks them very simply, how much do you have? Look at your neighbor and say, how much do you have? Now notice that the emphasis is not on what they don't have. This is what we do with our humanity. We get focused on what we don't have. We think about how we are lacking in our education in this area or I'm not fully capitalized for this business or I'm in a relationship that doesn't have this or this or that's not right. And our whole focus begins to be on what we don't have instead of letting Jesus say to us, okay, all that's, I understand all that and that's, that's a critical thing, but my question to you is what do you have? What is in your hand? Because it's a whole different perspective. Some, some of you this morning uh, are, are, are so focused on the struggle that you're in right now and everything is it's beyond the whole pessimistic and the optimistic idea, the optimist being the glass half full and the pessimist being the glass half empty. It's, it's just that you know that you're at a, at a crossroads and a hard place, a, a, a straight betwixt two, between a rock and a hard place, and, and you're running an inventory. It's so human. We do it. Jesus uh, literally through the, uh, the Spirit of the Lord, through the, the prophet Moses, said to the people, I brought you out of Egypt by the blood and the water and the Spirit. And literally all of your 400 plus years of back wages has been carried out with jewels and gold and silver and blessings that have bedecked the backs of camels. Because literally when they left Egypt, they just dumped all the blessing upon them. Got 425, 450 years of back wages. See, sometimes the Lord may not be there when you first think you need Him, but He'll always be right on time. And when He does show up, He shows up with blessing. 
And so they leave Egypt and Moses tells them, the word of the Lord to you is you're going to go into this land that's flowing with milk and honey and I'm going to give it to you. And what did they do? They got the very best business people, representatives from all of the different areas around Israel from all the tribes and they send them over there and somewhere something takes over. Instead of marching over with the attitude of faith that, hey, let's go take a great big look and scout out the land and see what God is going to give us, they get in a different mode and they send the guys and they run a feasibility study. Do you think we can do this? Do you think we can handle this? And right now, whatever the circumstance that you're facing, whether it be a marriage that's broken or a, 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 a business that is on the upside looking, on the downside looking up through the bottom because of the great recession that we've all been through and seems to give us a glimmer that right now we might be pulling through the, to the other side. Whatever it is, a child that's astray from God, whatever your circumstance this morning that you look at and you go, I can't, it's bigger than I am. You know what, that's fine. Just don't stay in that kind of a mindset. Because God never told them to go over there and do a study to see if they could because He knew from the beginning that they couldn't. The whole idea was to see if they would go with the confidence that God was going to do it for them. So they come back with a bad report, an evil report. You know the story. Ten of them say, we can't do this. We're grasshoppers in our own eyes. So we were grasshoppers in the eyes of those giants and these walled cities. And they totally missed it. They came back with a mentality of what they didn't have instead of going over with what they did. And you know what they did have? They had a word from God that He was going to give it to them. Isn't that all you need? It's just a word from the Lord? This morning, I don't know what your circumstances are, but you've got that word. The word is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whatever your lack is, he will make it up and meet that need. Come on, somebody, give God some praise. Hallelujah. Jesus didn't say, tell me what you don't have. He says, tell me what you do have. And they said, we have seven loaves. Next point. Jesus is never concerned about what we don't have but rather what we're willing to do with what we do have. Are you hearing me? Jesus is never as concerned about what you don't have as He is with whether or not you're willing to do something with what you do currently have in your hands. This is, this is what we do when we get in that mindset where we start to think we don't have enough. I can't do this. We get stingy. The person who is in a place, not a good place, because they're isolated from folks, many, many times feels a sense of self-rejection because they have been rejected, truly so, in the past. And it's wounded them deeply with a, with a, with a scar, a wound that's been scratched and etched into their soul, their psyche, their mind, their will, their emotions, what they think, what they want, what they feel. It's just been marred. It's been scarred. And to some degree, every one of us, certainly have received that mark. The, 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 the doctrine of total depravity says that every one of us doesn't mean that we are ultimately in every way through and through uh, to, as, to be as evil as we possibly can be. It just means that it's touched every aspect of our person. Depravity has touched every part of who I am. And so I'm broken, I'm, I'm scarred, and, and sometimes because of the circumstances of people, they literally put on a kind of a, a set of rejection glasses. And you start to see the world as if people are doing things to you that they're really not intending to do. 
And when you've been rejected numerous times, you start to see things that really aren't there. And so because you perceive and you think people are rejecting you, you put off rejection yourself and folks just kind of don't want to have anything to do with you. And so you get rejected. Not because people are mean or bad, but just because you're kind of a prickly cactus. Come on, somebody say amen. We've done that. We've been there. We've done that. We start thinking things. We start getting suspicious. We start worrying about it and wondering, well, I saw those two people over there whispering, and they, they had to be talking about me. And they snickered when they happened to when I went by. So I know they must be plotting against me. You know, somebody said, just because you say I'm paranoid doesn't mean I'm not. What's that old joke? You know, we, we can really can get so self-consumed because we're possessed with how much we don't have. And Jesus is just saying, what do you have? Will you put in my hand what you do have? Next point this morning. Before Jesus multiplies anything in your life, this is what I want you to help fill in the blank. He takes the seven loaves that somebody has to give up. Now, everybody out there is in need of something to eat, but somebody is prepared. Somebody has something. Somebody has a few small fish and somebody else has... Maybe it's a collection of seven different people who each had a loaf. I don't know how it happened. We're not given those details. But somehow they're able to gather together seven loaves and a few small fish. And Jesus is going to do it again. And what is so amazing is that when you see this thing happen, he, he gets these loaves and He gets these fish, and the first thing He does is He says, Thank you, Father. You know what? This is what happens when you're focused on what you don't have. You're not thankful for what you do have. And when you get thankful for what you do have, you're willing to put it into the hands of Jesus who for a season has to take it out of your hand. And that's the challenge right there. It's to put it into His hand, something that I used to have that was going to feed me. Now Jesus has it. So am I going to get fed or not? Well, that's where faith comes along. He thanks God for it. He breaks it. He blesses it. And then He puts it into the hands of some delegated authority, some delegates, some disciples that are going to pass it out to the others. And this is critical. Before I ever, ever see God multiply something in my life, I have to allow Him to subtract it out of my hand. And I have to momentarily let it go into His so He can break it and multiply it. Now, if, I have, if I'm living out of fear and not faith, if I'm living out of doubt and unbelief, if, I, if I'm in a place where I feel like I've got to, uh, I've got to make all I can and then I've got to guard the can... If I'm living out of this kind of a, a need mentality, Jesus wants to explode mine and yours this morning, our mentalities out from a need. This is what I have. This is all that I don't have. Help to lift our eyes up above that so that we can grow out of a need consciousness into a seed consciousness. Little becomes much. Say this after me. Little becomes much when I put it in the hands of Jesus. Little becomes much when I place it in the Master's hand because the hand of the master is the same one who spoke light be and light was the hand of the master who's holding my loaf that I'm going to give him hopefully in faith that he's going to momentarily subtract it from my possession so that he can multiply it and give it back to me and bless all of these other people with it as well that the one who is holding that bread is the one who made wheat in the first place the one who is providing, who's going to break that and bless it and multiply it is the one who, who gave us the skill to be able to look at creation and experiment with it and realize that you could grind wheat and add some oil and some salt and you could bake this thing and you've got this amazing stuff called bread. God is the one who's blessed us with that. 
Too often we live in such a limited kind of a perspective. All the Pharisees came walking along one day and Jesus was out there taking an offering and and they're all marching and throwing their big checks. They're writing their big checks in and they're all just sort of pompously declaring how much they gave and Jesus is just kind of really not paying attention to them because he's bored with all of their religious pomposity. And a little widow woman walks along and she rattles two little copper coins into the offering bucket. And Jesus stops the whole procession says, Stop, wait! All you guys think you're really outdoing everybody by writing your big checks? This little woman just gave two pennies. She outgave all of you. You want to know why? Because she wasn't focused on what she didn't have. She was willing to put what she did have into the hands of the Master. Same story happens in the Old Testament. We've got, we've got a prophet of God who is hungry and he visits a home of a widow woman and she's really depressed. I mean, she is just flat singing the somebody sing a sad song for me kind of blues. She says, I've got just enough meal and just enough oil and I'm going to bake a cake and me and my little son are going to eat our last cake and we're going to die. Now there's just not a lot of victory in that, is there? And the prophet says, okay, ma'am, I respect that. And he had the gall. Yeah, I'm going to say it again. He had the unmitigated gall to ask that poor widow woman, go ahead and bake your cake, but you, would you give it to me to eat it? Can you let this go? Because he knew that he had the word of the Lord in his mouth and the power of God in his hand. And when she said, okay, faith arose in her heart, she baked the cake, she gave it to the prophet Elijah. You know the story that takes place. And the Bible says the meal barrel never ran out and the cruise of oil never went dry because she was willing to put what little she had into the hands of the Lord. This morning, I don't know what you're facing. I don't know your circumstances. And you may have already taken an inventory. And you may already be saying to God, like so many great leaders of the Bible have said, Moses says, I can't speak. Talk about each of these different ones and the challenges they had and they're all beginning with what they don't have and God says, I'm not interested in what's your inventory of what you don't have. I just want to know what do you have? What's in your hand, Moses? And he had a, a rod, a staff, and he says, you know what, you've shepherded the sheep and I'm going to cause you to be a shepherd of my people Israel. What's in your hand? This morning, stop your focus, your, your little narrow, stinking, thinking focus on how little you have and recognize that the God who made you is the one who will complement and make up that whole lack. Come on. Jesus looks at him and he says, Guys, what are you going to do? These people are hungry. Well, we can't get any bread. He says, Well, what do you have? Seven loaves, a few small fish. Jesus takes them. He thanks God for them. His focus is on what he does have instead of what he doesn't have. They allow him to hold them in his hands. He breaks them. He gives them back, starting to multiply that stuff into their hands. And then he is instructs them to go and give this to the people. Two points and I'm finished. No, second to the last one. Here we go. You don't get to choose who serves you. You know, everybody said, well, you know, we've been listening to Jesus now for a couple of days. Amazing teaching. Great miracles. I mean, it's obvious that, that he's decided he's going to make this Fish and Chips Day an annual event. He did it again. And so... They basically say, you know, that's fine, but I don't like your service. I want to get mine from the hand of Jesus. 
And sometimes this is the way we are. We, we think, you know what, I, I, need, I need Jesus Himself. And let me just say this to you. I don't know if this is good news or bad news to you, but I'm one of His delegates. I'm His delegated authority in this place, and I'm just a disciple. No better, no different than any of you are, the rest of you in this room, but God has called me to take what He thanks God for and breaks and puts into my hand and then to bring it to you. And some of you might think, hey, that's pretty good, pretty good service. Other of you guys might not think it's great service. But guess what? This is what you got. And you don't get to choose who serves you. Some of you are expecting me to turn this around and put me in this place and sort of picture the lead pastor as Jesus And I just want you to know there ain't but one Jesus that's Jesus in this story. And I'm one of his delegated authority. I'm one of his disciples. Uh, 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 Good looking Hispanic dude on the front row. (laughs) Jeremy. (laughs) Alejandro. (laughs) Jeremy is one of his disciples. Haley is one of his disciples. Henry sitting over here is one of his disciples. My young man Ben tearing it up on the keyboard is one of his disciples. Don Bell over here is one of his disciples. It's not about got to have this one. I got to have that one. When I'm in the hospital, I want him to come pray for me. How many of you know you need Jesus to show up when you're sick? And that can come through any of these people in this room. It didn't say these signs shall follow the lead pastor. It said these signs shall follow them that believe. You don't always get a choice who serves you. And I think that's for a reason. Because we learn to appreciate and respect the body of Christ for the body and not because we have any great big eyes and little U's, some amazing leaders. Because really the only amazing leader that's out there is Jesus. Come on somebody. I'm His delegate, you're His delegate. Let's do what we've been delegated to do. Come on somebody, put your hands together as we finish this this morning. Last point, only God can, listen to this, read it out loud with me, come on, here we go. Only God can take a shortage, multiply it to feed thousands, and then make the leftovers be greater than what you started with. Will you think about what I just said? Only God can take your little handful of bread and fish, feed umpteen thousands of people with it, And then you gather up the fragments of seven baskets full after this miracle. It was 12 after the first one when he fed the 5,000. And remember, they didn't count women and children because they were gender gender prejudiced and didn't really count the, 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 the full humanity of children until they were mature. So they were only about counting men. So when it says 4,000 were fed, it was just 4,000 dudes. All their wives and their children are out there getting something to eat too. So it probably, we could really safely say, it was at a minimum of about 12,000 people got fed that day. Because somebody was willing to take their personal loaf and their little fish and give it up for a moment to put it into Jesus' hands, to thank God for it, to break it and multiply it and put it into the hands of some disciples that had been instructed to feed everybody out there. What am I saying to you this morning? Everybody in this room can easily be focused on what you don't have. Or you can stop and you can listen to Jesus asking you this morning, but what do you have? What's in your hand? Because God wants to use that to minister to Crittenden County, to your family, to somebody at your job, person in the next cubicle over from you, the next door neighbor that just got some bad news. You know what? Let's bring it on back into the spiritual family. People here in this room that have recently 
been weakened by the news of a difficult struggle that they're currently facing. I, I can look around this room and I can see a dozen people that I know circumstances that they're wrestling through, that we're praying for you. You're on our prayer list. We're, we're there to encourage you, to check on you. And even if us, when we start talking about spiritual family, if my focus is on what I always don't have, then I never will let God open me up and show me that He can teach me and grow me and put words in my mouth that I didn't even know that were there that can encourage somebody else. Well, I don't know the scripture Pastor Michael knows. Well, I can't sing like Alexandra can. Well, I can't play the bass like Alex or the drums like Brett or lead a team in, in ministry like Haley does or motivate a crowd like Jeremy does in the youth. If my focus is always on what somebody else has and what I don't have, then I will never step out and let God use me to do what He's called me to do. Are you hearing me this morning? Now, that's a very functional, practical application of this message. But as the lights come down and our hearts are focused solely on Jesus Christ right now and our heads are bowed,